we have something wonderful to discuss today. Amen? God is going to bless us. I want to tell you a quick story. One day, I was about to preach a sermon, and right before I was about to preach a sermon, all of a sudden, the electricity went out, the PowerPoint went out, the AV went out. I mean, you name it, and it was just, it was a big church, so I needed to project my voice, but my voice was just really going out. So I texted my friend, and I said, hey, pray for us. The power has already gone out. And without just, I mean, it's just less than like 15 seconds, he texts me right back and he says, don't worry, the word already has power. Amen? The word already has all the power we need. Why don't we begin with the word of prayer and let's ask Jesus to speak his word to us in a very special way today. Father in heaven, right now we just want to pray and thank you for the power of the spirit. We pray and ask that the word of God would become alive, living and active. And God, it would touch our hearts and our minds. God, we want to walk away from this place change because we've had an encounter with the infinite God of the universe. This is our prayer, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, how many people have their Bibles? Raise your hand. If you have a Bible, take your Bible out. Okay, if you have a Bible, put your Bible in the air like this. I want you to turn to the person next to you with a judgmental look right now for not bringing their Bibles. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. I didn't say judgmental words. I said judgmental look. All right. Okay, now we're going to be learning about some wonderful things in the scripture, things that the Bible has for us. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to probably one of the most looked at verses in all the scripture. It's the very first verse of the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Shouldn't be hard to find Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Some of you are flipping a lot of pages. We're just going to Genesis 1, <laughs> verse 1, okay? Genesis 1, verse 1. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. amen. And if you still haven't found it, we'll pray for you. All right. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, let's start with verse 1. Notice what the Bible says right here. In the beginning, notice this, God created the what? Heavens and the what? Earth. Notice what the scripture is saying right here. The Bible isn't seeking to prove God's existence. It simply declares God's existence. In the beginning, God. And you just think about that. That of itself is such a powerful verse. From the very beginning of scripture, the Bible tries to tell us, it tells us right from the very beginning that God was there and that he is the one who was responsible for all of this. You know, one day I was at this chiropractor and there was this Sikh man who was just really working on my neck. And, uh, you know, I have some of the most awkward question, uh, conversations with Indian people when they find out what I do for a profession, okay? And oftentimes there's this pause, this awkward moment, and then they ask the question, why are you a pastor? And so there he was, he was just working on my neck, and he asked the inevitable question. He says, hey, what do you do for a living? And I was ready for it. I said, well, I'm a pastor. Waited for it, awkward pause. And then he said, Why? And so I began to talk to him a little bit about the Bible, a little bit about spirituality and things like this. And then you know what he said to me? He said, you know, can I say something? I said, sure. He said, all religions, very similar. He says, they all sound the same. They have the same ideals. He says, they're all the same. If you look at the root of it, they're all the same. And the Lord gave me the right words. I said, brother, you said something very interesting in your response to me. You said, it. I said, it's not about it, it's about him and discovering who he is, the one from the very beginning. This is the purpose of life, is to know the creator. Out of all the accolades and achievements that humanity can have or possess, it is to know the creator, to know who he is, the one who was there from the very beginning and the one who will be there all the way to the end of time. Amen? Now notice what Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says right here. In the beginning, what? God, notice that verb right there, created. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. You know what's so interesting? One day I was, um, Sharmi is right, I am working also on a philosophy major, and I'm at Stan State University right now. 
But one day I was taking this class, and the teacher, the, the class was called the Philosophy of Science. The Philosophy of Science. And the teacher's name was Judy Kane, like Kane who slew Abel. And uh, <laughs> this was her name. And she had this class called the Philosophy of Science, and she dedicated the last two months of this class to debunking creationism, that there is no God, that this world is just a, uh, the product of random processes and chances. And she was there, and so she spent this time just, you know, the last few months just describing fundamental churches and beliefs that try to promote that God created the world in six days. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this is going to be a wonderful time right here. So I really began to pray for the Holy Spirit. And there were some angry atheists in that class. I mean, angry, angry people. And in fact, one day when the, the teacher was going over the fossil record, I asked the inevitable question that comes up. And I said, hey, can you explain to me where the transitional fossils are found? I never forgot one of the atheists turned to me and she's like, these were, these were her words. This isn't Pokemon. <laughs> Just like that. I mean, God was really teaching me patience and love as well. I mean, I had to hold my tongue many different times. I never forgot one other guy in the class. He was an atheist. He was sitting up. He was studying, about to go into law school. He was up in the front left row, and every time he would make this comment about creationists, he would look right back at me. Okay, and he would say, yeah, these creationists, what they're trying to do is they're trying to prove that the world is 6,000 years old. When you take a good look at rocks, and they're 2 million years old. And he began to say all sorts of weird things like that, okay? And so, I mean, it was so crazy. I mean, it was just an intense class. There was a great controversy taking place in that class. <laughs> you name it, okay? It was such an intense experience. But I never forgot. I mean, I was really praying for wisdom and tact how to deal with this classroom. I know that God had called me there, but the issue was this. I also was doing an evangelistic series an hour and a half away in Mountain View, California. So I'd have to drive all the way back to my hometown where I'm pastoring to go to class, and then I would have to drive all the way back. And this was taking place in the last month of this class. And so I thought to myself, Lord, there's got to be a purpose for this. I had this burden that I needed to be in this class. And so there I was. And there I remained. All the way until the very last day. And the teacher was just spending all this time debunking this, saying this about creationists, saying this about Christians. And finally, you know, she began to go to the National Academy of Sciences and began to lay down all the criteria. This was the last 15 minutes of class. She began to lay out all the criteria, and I just felt this urging, now was the time to talk, okay? <laughs> she gets down to the fourth criteria. She gets down to the fourth criteria, which says that a science must be testable, it must be repeatable, it must be observable. So I immediately raised my hand, and I asked the question, I said, when you take a good look at uh, macroevolution, or the theory of macroevolution, it teaches that the world was created billions of years ago, that life started millions of years ago. I said, how can we prove that if we cannot test that or observe that. She thought for a moment and she said, well, what we do is we look back into the Earth, Earth's record and we would see if the fossil record would match that. So I immediately raised my hand again and I said, but when you take a good look at the fossil record, is it continuous or discontinuous? And this is where everybody in the class began to look at me. <laughs> she paused for a second and she's like, it's discontinuous. And then I raised my hand again. I mean, it was like, I was like, I don't know what I'm even saying right now. <laughs> and then I said this to her. I said, in the last hundred years, has there been a bunch of hoaxes to really try to uh, fit this theory of evolution? And she said, that's very true. And then I said, don't you think over the last hundred years, there's been so many altercations to make this theory fit when it should have been debunked a long time ago? And she thought for a second. And then I raised my hand one more time. <laughs> this is the last minute. And I said, how many altercations does a theory need before it's finally dismissed? And you know how she ended this? This is how she ended it. She said, well, this is why we're here. And there was just this heaviness in the air. And it was just this moment where, like, God launched one final attack, <laughs> you know? But I never forgot, many people came up to me. One guy gave me a high five in the class, and I was like, what's going on? I found out he was dating an Adventist girl. One other person came to me right after that class was like, hey, man, I want to talk to you. 
I said, okay. So I went out there, and he's like, look, I don't believe any of the stuff you just said. I said, okay. I said, have you ever studied the Bible? And he said these words. He says, I used to be a Catholic. Now I don't believe in God. Then I said, have you ever studied the books of Daniel and Revelation? He said, no. I said, you give me some time to study with you the book of Daniel and Revelation. You'll be blown away. And he said, okay. He was interested. But I never forgot. It was just an amazing thing that began to take place. I mean, like, I never forgot. Even on the last days, I bought samosas for all the classroom. <laughs> I even tried to win favor with the teacher. I got her a vegetarian cookbook because she was having some health issues. But um, <laughs> do not be fooled by this idea, this idea, these theories that are promoted out in the world today. Okay, let me just tell you something. I was born and raised in secular Secular Southern California, went to secular schools, secular colleges my entire life. I only spent two years at uh, an Adventist college, which was Weimar College, and that was it. And I also did four months at Amazing Facts College of Evangelism. But I still attend secular universities. And here's the thing I really want to let you know today, is that although we as Christians don't have all the answers, we have reasonable answers still. And God wants us to understand there is plenty of proof that is out there but what we need, ladies and gentlemen, is to have faith in God's word. Little have I seen creationism lead to a belief in scripture. Rather, I've seen a belief in scripture lead to belief in creationism. As people begin to affirm the scriptural record, all of a sudden, as they begin to rewind more and more, they begin to realize that the scriptures are teaching the truth that God created the world in six days. Amen? I never forgot I was sitting down with this philosophy graduate student. Just an ardent atheist, so I bought him Indian food. I was working him up with some curry. And uh, <laughs> when I got, we began talking about philosophy, we began talking about theology. And uh, he said, you know, I just do not believe in this stuff. So I said, let me ask you some questions. He said, okay. I said, when you go back and you rewind before everything, what was there? And he's like, the Big Bang. I said, well, what caused the Big Bang? He said, the singularity. It was this point where all the laws of physics were broken down, and all of a sudden, <laughs> And the Big Bang took place, and these laws were then set in motion. So I said to him, I said, okay, you are exposing a point to me where the laws of physics were broken down. In other words, a supernatural moment. He said, supernatural? I said, yes, supernatural, meaning beyond natural or beyond law. I said, okay. Or he said, okay. Then I said to him, I said, I believe that there is a supernatural creator. Now let's take this together. You believe that there was a supernatural, impersonal, random point that brought all of this together. And I believe that there is a supernatural, personal creator. And I said, then I said this to him right afterwards. I said, I don't have the kind of faith to believe in that other stuff. <laughs> the Bible speaks the truth. Amen? And any attempt to change what Genesis chapter 1 completely breaks down the very purpose, nature, and revelation of the greatest event that ever took place in human history, and that is the cross of Calvary. Never forgot one day I walked in, we haven't even started the sermon yet. One day I walked into a non-denominational church, walked in there, and I was just looking at this poster that was on the wall, and this poster stated three ways this world took place, the world was created. Number one, it showed that there was evolution. The world came about through chance. Lightning struck this primordial soup, and all of a sudden there was existence. Then the second theory said that God created the world in six days. And then the third theory showed that God, over long ages, created mankind through natural, long, slow processes. And so I was looking at this poster that was in this non-denominational church. And all of a sudden, one of the elders comes up to me. I guess he thought I was a Hindu who needed converting. And so he walks up to me. He walks up to me. And he's just there, and he's like, now that's a very interesting poster. I said, it is. And he's like, a lot of people have these beliefs about how we came to be. He says, take a good look at these three theories that are out there. I said, that's interesting. And then he said to me, I believe the third one. When you take a good look at what science promotes and believes and has found out, it seems that we have come across, we have come to be through long ages, that God didn't just create us very distinctly and uniquely. We came, up, we came to be because of evolution, macroevolution. And I turned to him, I said, you know, that's very interesting. He said, it is. He says, that's where I put my belief. And I said, can I ask you a question? He said, yes. I said, if animals lived and died before the creation of mankind, that would, that would posit that death existed in this world. He said, yes. Then I said, if death existed in this world, that means that sin existed in this planet. And then he's like, 
you know, I never thought about that. And then I said to him, I said, well, if sin existed before Adam was created, that means that God was responsible for death and for sin. And then he's like, you know, I never thought about that. Well, duh, you ever pick up the Bible? You know, here's the thing to understand. Here's the thing to, I'm not going to even look in that direction right now, okay? We haven't even got to the sermon. Here's the thing. The way you look at it is that Genesis 1, it says Genesis 1. You look at scripture and the Bible gives a wonderful, wonderful overview of God's great act. And now we're about to jump into God's word, okay? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says what? In the what? In the beginning God created the what? Heavens and the earth. And what you're about to see in Genesis chapter 1 is something so unique. You find that there is just ordinary English narrative. In other words, when God created this, this took place. When God created this, this took place. And the language is very plain until you get to verse 26. Go to verse 26 right now. You're about to see something interesting. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, okay? It's all ordinary, ordinary language right there all the way until you start getting to verse 26, okay? Look at verse 26. Then God said what? Let us make man in our what? Own image according to our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over all the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 is the key verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now let me ask you a question. Everything in Genesis chapter 1 is ordinary English language until you get to verse 27. All of a sudden, the structure of that verse becomes very redundant. It doesn't sound like ordinary English. Now notice what verse 27 says one more time. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Does that sound like ordinary language to you? Yes or no? Because here's something that Moses knew, that Hebrew writers knew, that most people who read in English did not know, and that is this. What you are looking at, verse 27, is something called paradigmatic parallelism. Say that three times for me. <laughs> Sister, you are amazing. In Hebrew, this is something that is called Hebrew poetry. So in other words, in Genesis chapter 1, what you are actually looking at is ordinary English narrative until you get to verse 27, and all of a sudden it is put in Hebrew poetry. Now let me ask the man a question right here. What is the purpose of poetry? Can you raise your hand real quickly? Yes, fine, go ahead. Which is? Can you say that a little louder? <laughs> Can you stand up? All right. Very, very good. Excellent. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, here's the thing to understand. God wanted Moses to write this. The Spirit impressed Moses to write this in poetic language. Why? Because God was trying to show that the creation of this world was simply just, it was creation. But when it came to the creation of man, this was something that was so special, so emotional, and invoked an emotional response from God. The creation of man was written in poetry. See, when you read Genesis chapter 1, you find an overview of all the creation week right there. Starting from the very beginning to the very end. And a lot of people get confused in Genesis chapter 2. They're like, wait a minute, did God create man twice? No, what you're finding in Genesis chapter 2 is God's favorite part of creation, which is mankind. And so what you see in Genesis chapter 2 is that even the verse, the word that says God in chapter 1 begins to switch in chapter 2. And it says now the Lord God indicating more of a personal aspect of who God is. In fact, Genesis chapter 2 starts off with the Sabbath. And then it says instead of just God created the heavens and the earth, it then says and God created the earth and the heavens. God himself has touched down for the creation of mankind. The reason why this is super important is because we need to understand purposes, the very purposes of our existence, of our life. There is a world out there that is searching for meaning. But what you find in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you are finding God's plan for humanity. 
you know, when I was in college, that's where I became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And it was in college that I was really yearning for something more. You know, my parents, they wanted me to go into pre-med. I had a desire for law. And uh, my relatives, they wanted me to go to computer science. <laughs> and so, I mean, this is what it was. And so I was really torn as I was going to college. I had no real desire for knowledge, for wisdom. I saw no purpose in the grand scheme of things. I thought to myself, all that is there for me is to, to get educated, to get a job, get married, have kids, and then die one day. And it really struck at the core of my heart. I never forgot, I would go to classes day in and day out, and I was just thinking to myself, there's nothing here for me. There's nothing here for me. But when I begin to discover the beautiful truth about who God was and how he is desiring that we come to him and learn about him, let me just say something to you. There are many purposes in this world, amen, very legitimate purposes. Is there purpose in marriage, yes or no? Is there purpose in careers, yes or no? Is there a purpose in family? Yes or no? Yes. Purpose in schooling? Yes. But guess what? With the grand overarching purpose, all these purposes will eventually collapse. The grand overarching purpose of life is to know the almighty creator. There is no greater accolade, no greater achievement than to know who God really is. And this is what eternity is all about. That's why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, God has put eternity in the heart of mankind. Amen? And what we're going to be doing, we're going to be taking a good look at some of the purposes that God created Adam for. Okay, everybody take your Bible. I want you to see something in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. Take a good look at the creation of mankind and what God begins to immediately do with Adam. Then the Lord God, remember what I said to you, Genesis chapter 1 says, God, Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God, indicating more of a personal response from God. Genesis 2 verse 15, then the Lord God took the who? Man and put him in the what? Garden of Eden. Now notice these next two words right here, next two phrases, to attend and to what? To and keep it. Now this is very interesting. One of the very primary purposes of Adam was to take care of his home, to tend it. But there was a unique word that's there. It says to keep it. Now we thought to myself, well, did Adam have a tough time keeping the garden? Until I begin to actually study what this word keep means. Do you know what it means to guard? Now, was there any freaky looking dinosaurs back then that wanted to kill Adam? <laughs> Raptors trying to jump in, trying to eat Adam in the Garden of Eden? Hello? No, no right? Some of you are thinking about that. There shouldn't be no. <laughs> I don't know what's happening there, okay? But notice this. One of the primary purposes God gave to Adam was to guard the garden. In other words, to guard something means that there is a threat. There was a threat that was posited here. God was letting Adam know there is a threat to something. And so Adam had a responsibility to guard that garden. And what did the garden represent? The garden represented that place where God would touch down and he would meet with Adam. One of the great primary purposes of life is communion with God. God wants us to guard our time with him. Now, when I first became a Christian, I thought to myself, okay, to have communion with God simply means just to read my Bible. But then I began to understand as I was reading the Bible, God was calling me to have very personal dialogue with him. And so communion became something that was very deep and experiential. But all of humanity's point of existence can be brought down to this fundamental verse that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Adam was to guard the place of communion. You know, I really struggled with this idea of communion with God in the beginning. Oftentimes, I would pick up the Bible when I would spend time with Jesus, and this is exactly how it went. I'd get up in the morning, and I used to really be a late riser. Now, I don't sleep at all, but I used to be a late riser. And I would get up around maybe 10 or 11, sometimes at noon, and I'd like, okay, it's time to read my Bible. And I'd go like this. Okay. I'd open up the Bible like this. And all of a sudden, I would end up in Jeremiah, and God would be threatening the Gentiles with destruction. 
And somebody told me early on that I was a Gentile. And so as I was reading that, I was like, I'm just going to read Psalms today. <laughs> now, some of you are laughing, but I know that's many of your experience, too. Ooh, you know I'm telling the truth right now, right? See, here's the thing we need to understand. To commune with God is to understand what he is really saying. And so one of the things that really helped me in the study of God's word, and I really want to challenge you on this point, I was struggling so much to understand the Bible. You see, my spiritual vision was dimmed by sin, and I had a difficult time grasping the truths of God's word. Even thinking about spiritual things hurt my brain. And so God began to lead me through an experience. I began to pray. I said, God, you want me to understand the word? You have to teach me because I'm struggling with this. Somebody came to me one day and they said, hey, one of the best things we want to recommend to you is start reading the Spirit of Prophecy. And I said, Spirit of Prophecy? What's that? And they began to give me a Bible study on Spirit of Prophecy and what the Bible says about the remnant church. So I began to pick up books like Desire of Ages. And I began to pick up, pick up books like Patriarchs and Prophets. And as I picked up these books, what was so amazing is that it drew me right back to the Scriptures. And all of a sudden, as I began to read the scriptures, there was new light and understanding. It was as if I could finally understand this language. You know what's so amazing about the spirit of prophecy? God designed it for the end time generation to help them understand more deeply the truths of God's word. Many people are struggling so much. I never forgot one day, I was trying to get this guy baptized. And I was trying my best. I mean, I stopped short of telling this guy he was going to burn in hell forever and ever. But I mean, I was trying my best. He had gone to two evangelistic series, two sets of Bible study, and the guy wouldn't make a decision for baptism. And I was sweating here, and I was like, I can't do this. And one day he calls me up. He calls me up, and he's like this. He's like, Pastor Nell, I need to come over right now. I said, okay. Comes over to the church office, and he's like, I want to get baptized. I said, you want to get baptized? He's like, yeah. I go, why? He's like, because of that book by Edgar White. I said, who's Edgar White? He's like, that book you gave me. I go, I gave you a book by Edgar White? And what he does, he points up on the shelf, and there was this little blue book called Steps to Christ. And I go, oh, Ellen White. The guy made a decision. You know, I went through several Bible studies with the guy, but when he began to pick up those writings... All of a sudden, it was like the Spirit convicted him and convinced him what humanity could not do. And so one of the best things I want to recommend to you is start picking up the Spirit of Prophecy and the Scriptures. One of the best things I do is that I will read a chapter that corresponds with the Bible chapter that I'm reading. So I've been reading a chapter about, like, say, Jesus, how he healed demoniac. I'd read the chapter in the Spirit of Prophecy, and then I would go back to the Bible, and I'd have this just wonderful insight, and all of a sudden, it was the first time that the Bible began to really make sense to me. And so I really want to challenge you on this thought of just learning to spend time with Jesus. Amen? I love what Ellen White says right here. She says something so amazing. The Savior's life on earth was a life of what? communion with nature and with what god in this communion he revealed for us the secret of a life of what power do you want a life of power god is challenging you to go deeper it may be a struggle but as you continue to struggle to spend time with god in the morning you're going to be blown away by what god wants to do you know i had a good friend he was um he was just doing really poor in college really bad in college Finally, I challenged him on this thought. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wake up in the morning, and I want you to just make the first priority you have in the day to spend time with Jesus. Three months later, I saw him. He comes up to me. He's like, hey, pastor, I want to tell you something. I go, what? He's like, all my grades have shot up. I said, what? He's like, all my grades have shot up ever since I started making it a priority to spend time with Jesus. Now, how many people want to be smarter than their teachers like I was earlier? How many people want to be smarter than your teachers? Raise your hand. By the way, if you're a teacher here, a professor, I am not starting a rebellion here. <laughs> I'm going to show you something so amazing. Take your Bible and go to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. This is so amazing. In fact, God began to really show this to me when I was taking college classes. Psalm 119, go to verse 99. Psalm 119, go to verse 99. Are we all there? 
Say amen if you're there. I have more understanding than my what? This is David speaking. I have more understanding than my teachers. Notice what he says. For your testimonies are my meditation. You know what David could say? He's like, I'm smarter than the scholars and teachers and mentors around me because I begin to think upon your word. See, the Bible is filled with testimonies of great men and women. And as you converse in the scriptures, what you're going to find is that your mind will start having this incredible ability to start thinking about deep things. All of a sudden, education, knowledge, and wisdom will start becoming more desirable to you. You know, there was one person in my family who was the black sheep of the family. Guess who it was? Wow. <laughs> you guys said that with a moan. You. <laughs> my family is a, you know, Indian people are very academically inclined. That's the proper word right there, right? Uh, my sisters were doing my dad's taxes in their preteens. My oldest sister went to law school really quickly. My sister, after her, I have two sisters who are doctors. They have a clinic together. I have my other sister who just opened up a, you know, this business in Arizona. She also worked for an aerospace firm. My brother just finished up his master's at USC. He's already, he's already opened up a million-dollar internet con company, bought a house for $750,000 cash. Okay? You're impressed. But there was one person in that family who had a hard time with education. It was me. <laughs> I had a hard time with education. It was so difficult for me to sit down in class. I'd oftentimes sit there and I'd just be to myself, I can't stand this. I can't stand this. The teacher would write nonstop for an hour. And she, they would never ask a question, okay? You know what kind of classes I'm talking about, right? And nonstop for a whole hour, and I'd just be there, and I'm like, and this is back in the days before people had cell phones. <laughs> and so there I was, and I, and I get so irritated because there was almost this mental block. But you see what happened is as I began to study God's word, all of a sudden God began to awaken dormant faculties that were present. And now I've gained a love for, you know, knowledge and wisdom. I love studying. I love going to classes. I try to come off as like a 20-year-old college student when I'm really 35 years old. And so it's just a wonderful experience as I'm going through these various classes. And I love to study God's word. And I just begin to really love knowledge as I begin to understand God's word. You see, there are many people here who think they're not good at schooling. Many people here who think they're not intelligent as the other people. But I promise you this. You challenge God in the morning. And you say, Lord, I want you to help me to start studying your word. Open up my mind. You're going to find God blessing you in tremendous ways. Can you say amen to that? Amen. But there was something else that was very important to Adam's life. It was not just his communion life. That it was a great purpose. It was another thing. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be what? Alone I will make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought it to Adam to see what he would call them. Now notice this. God is taking a very curious interest in seeing Adam naming animals. Now let me ask you a question. Did God know the animals he created? Yes or no? So why was he having this curiosity? Why was he actually watching to see what Adam would call the animals? You know, here's something so beautiful. As Adam would see these animals come to him, he began to label them, categorize them. Something you may say that takes place in zoology or biology. He was categorizing these animals. And as he was doing it, he was adding identity. And with identity, there was an understanding. And with the understanding, there was an appreciation. And Adam began to appreciate the works of God. And as we spend time studying the works of God in the world, the Bible talks about studying the skies and the stars. Jesus says, look at the birds, look at the flowers. As we begin to really study nature and the beauty of nature, we'll begin to see the handiwork of God. You know, I really want to challenge you to start spending time also in nature. Jesus would go out into nature and he would study what was out there. You know what's so interesting? That people who live in the city, it's very true. I grew up in the city. There is a general agitation 
In other words, there's an agitation. People, have it, people who live in the city, talk to them. They may be you know, shaking or they just may be slightly irritated. There's just this agitation with people in the city because they're surrounded by so much of these artificial stimulus and they're just there and they're constantly surrounded by stress and noise. But then you see people who are like raised in nature and they're some of the most mellow, almost just very good-natured, most of them, good-natured, just people that aren't flipping out every other second. You know, there's something beautiful about nature, and God gave nature to Adam to study, and he has given nature to us to study. Can you say amen to that? And that's a powerful thing. This is so amazing. Look what Ellen White says right here. Since God is the source of all true knowledge, it is, as we have seen, the first object of education to direct our minds to his own revelation of himself. I promise you this. You may be somebody today who's thinking, I really don't have a purpose here. I don't even know what major is. The very first thing God is calling you to do is start seeking him out. And when you begin to understand who God is and you begin to really search for a revelation of who he is, all of a sudden you're going to begin to see the paths that God would have you go. In fact, tomorrow night I'm going to be talking about how to discover the career God may be calling you to. And that's tomorrow night. This is so amazing. Right here, there was one other thing that God created. For Adam. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. This is very interesting. This is probably uh, most college students' favorite part. The fall of mankind. Go to Genesis 2. And let's start with verse 18 right here. The Lord God said it is what? Not good that man should be what? alone. Notice what happens here. Right after he says that, does he immediately create Eve? No. Notice what he does. As soon as he says that, he begins to set Adam in motion to begin working. In other words, it was when Adam was busy about the work of God that Eve was made. But why is this super important? Because God was first creating the necessity before he created the means. He was first creating a need before he was actually creating what would fulfill that need with Adam. And you know what God begins to do with Adam? He begins to bring these animals. Mr. Giraffe, Mrs. Giraffe come to him. Mr. Zebra, Mrs. Zebra come to him. Mr. Gorilla, Mrs. Gorilla comes. And the Bible says there was not found for him a helper comparable to him. And what you begin to see here. Is, a str is, is an experience that God began to give Adam another purpose. He gave him purpose in his communion life, purpose in his work-study life, and now a purpose in his romance life. <laughs> uh. He puts the desire in Adam, and he says, Adam, I am going to create somebody for you. And he says, a helper comparable to him. The King James says a helper comparable to him. But that word is so slaughtered in the English language, it sounds like a butler. <laughs> I'm going to create a butler for you. <laughs> right? Or it says, help meet. That's not really uh, modern English today. In fact, when you take a good look at this word, it is translated in over 19 different places. 16 times describing God's powerful deliverance. Six times describing military aid. Does this sound like a butler to you? No, he was creating something very powerful for Adam. And he's like, Adam, I'm going to create something. Amen. There's women over here saying amen. He was creating something so powerful and something so unique for Adam. And so Adam, as Adam was looking around, says, there was not found for him a helper. Does that tell you Adam was looking? The word found, is it past, future, or present tense? <laughs> found. <laughs> past, future, or present tense? Are you sure? Okay, praise the Lord. There was not found a helper for him, which would imply he was attempting to what? Find. So there was a struggle for Adam to find a helpmeet. God put that desire in him. And as he was caring about this work of trying to name and categorize these animals to study out this, the desire began to grow more and more intense as he was not seeing a helpmeet for him. And all of a sudden, he was knocked out, medicated, divine morphine, placed upon him. 
The Bible says there was deep sleep that fell upon Adam. And now notice what the Bible says next. Then God created what? Eve. Now let me ask you a question. Who was the very first person Eve saw? She didn't see Adam first, huh? Amen. I said she didn't see Adam first. Right? Who, <laughs> who did Eve see first? Saw Jesus first, right? The true love of her life. But now notice what he does next. Did God say to Eve, now go look for Adam? No. What does it say he did with Eve? He brought her to Adam. And there Adam woke up. In fact, if you notice the next few verses, it says, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Notice this. Are the margins really enlarged there? Why? Because it's poetry. So you know what came out of Adam's mouth as soon as he saw Eve? A love song. <laughs> poetry. You see, here's something that's extremely important. A great purpose that God had put in Adam's life was his romance life. Now, this is where we start being a little bit sharp right here, all right? You know, when you take a good look at Scripture, there are so many different, uh, you can say, mistakes that have taken place when mankind has decided to go outside of God's plan. Did you know in the book of Genesis, before the flood that destroyed the whole world, there was two generations of people? Did you know that? There were those who the, brought on the flood, but God holds guilty another generation. Their parents. You know what the Bible says? The sons of God went into the daughters of the earth, and children were born to them. And then the heart of them, the thought of them was evil continually. In other words, it was the children of this union that brought on the destruction of the flood. God holds two generations guilty. Not just the people that lived at the time of the flood, but the very parents when they began to mix with people of the world. Do you know the church, the early church, when it married the world, it produced one of the most violent, wicked institutions this world has ever seen. That brought the death of over 100 million Christians during the dark and middle ages. How does this take place? Because when you take the knowledge of God and you combine it with the world, you know what begins to happen? In eclipse. And you know what begins to be eclipse? The tender characteristics of God. And so you know what's only left? This tyrant picture of who God is. And so what begins to happen? You begin to have children who are rebelling against this picture of God. Who are angry at this picture of God. Because the tender, the tender characteristics of God have been eclipsed by the world. And this is the reason why God wants us to understand that it's important that we follow his plan. And I want to say this with all the love in my heart. If you care about your children, do not marry an unbeliever. Do not marry an unbeliever. I'm not here to give you a seminar on this. I'm here to give you a loving, wonderful warning. And that is this. If you know God is laying on your heart, do not be with this person. Don't do it. Don't do it. I never forgot. I'm going to be very just open with you. There was somebody that I was interested in several years ago. And I just having this nagging feeling from God, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And I was like, no, no, no. I can see what I can see externally seems to work. All the characteristics, she states, it's all there. But God kept convicting me. I had no peace as I was spending time in God's word. I went to my mentors. And by the way, I really want to encourage you. You need to invite people, older mentors who are spirit-led, who are Christians, to be part of your relationships. Amen? If you can't do that, something's wrong right there. So I really want to challenge you on this. So I am called up my mentors, and they begin to explain to me, hey, something doesn't seem right. And they begin to point out things that I couldn't see. And I struggled with making this decision. But when I made that decision, I look back with thankfulness because that person has utterly changed. And not because of what took place, but because of other things that happened to them shortly after and for the last few years. And I look back, and I say this with all the respect in my heart, but I'm really thankful I did not date that person. I'm really thankful I didn't marry that person. One of the best things I can say for you, there's so many things when it comes to this thing about romance, but get mentors involved. Don't be afraid if, if someone's going to criticize you. You need those kinds of people to be part of your life. Did you know that Abraham's called their spiritual father? Amen? But do you know the last recorded words of Abraham? You would think, man, that's got to be important. The last recorded words of Abraham. The last recorded words of Abraham in the book of Genesis is the kind of woman Isaac should marry. 
which leaves an example for us. And this was so important to Abraham, so important to God that God put that there, then that should wake us up to this reality. Wait a minute. I need to invite people to be part of this. I'm not just talking about your friends, okay? I mean, I have three good friends, but one of them will always say to me, that's a good question. He'll just say a question back to me. Another one just says, yeah, go for it, man. The third one says, yeah, that's God's will. <laughs> and so no matter what they call them up on, they'll say, yeah. One will say, yeah, that's a good question. He'll never give me an answer. The other one will say, go for it, dude. And the third one will say, that's got to be God's will. It's got to be God's will. And I have learned when it comes to making sensitive decisions, I don't go to them. <laughs> Amen? I want people who are going to take a very critical look. But here's the thing, okay? Now, in the Bible, the Bible talks about a, a very certain places where people would find their loved ones. In Scripture, you would see sort of a consistent theme of wells, right? You see about Moses, he met his bride at a well. Isaac, serv Isaac's, um, uh, Abraham's servant met the wife of Isaac at the well. Uh, Jacob, he met his wife at a well. And here's the thing to understand. The best place to meet somebody of the opposite sex is places where the water of life is. Now, here's the thing. You don't want people who are just around the well. You want people drinking from the well. Amen? And one of the best things I could say to you is, if the kind of person you want to marry one day is a very spiritual, ministry-minded person, start participating in ministry. Amen? I mean, it doesn't mean that's a guarantee that they're going to be great people, but that's going to tell you right off the, the kind of things they love to do. In fact, I had a good friend. One day he went to Sabbath school. He gets to Sabbath school, and he's sitting there, and he's been spying out. Uh, spying sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> stalking somebody. <laughs> and as he's been watching her, he thinks to himself, man, I don't know if she's the right kind of person. He's like, I'm not going to do this. Until he went to Sabbath school, he saw her in Sabbath school, and he looked over her shoulder, and her Sabbath quarterly was open, and it was all marked up. It had different color highlighters on there. There was writing there on the side, and my friend said, just praise the Lord. <laughs> he, they have a happy marriage, okay? <laughs> I had another friend, okay? This is my friend. <laughs> my friend, he's in seminary right now, and uh, he met his wife this way, okay? He was doing this kind of youth retreat, whatever it was, and he gets there, and he sees this young adult he's been interested in for some time. He just knew about her but never met her in person, and she's up there leading the song service. And she's also a youth ministry person, and he sees her, and this is what he tells me. He's like, when I saw her, I began to weep. And when he said that to me, I was like, you girl. <laughs> but secretly, I envied him. <laughs> but here's the thing to understand. And the reason why it's super important is because it's around that location or that vicinity, you want to find that kind of creature. <laughs> Amen? If you're looking for a particular kind of animal, you've got to go where the animal is. And if the kind of person you want to marry one day is the kind of person that's going to help you in the work of God, whatever it is, then you want to find someone who's already participating in that. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You know what? This is extremely important for us because God wants us to understand he has different purposes for us. Greatest purpose is to know him and to make him known. We talked about Adam's communion life. We talked about Adam's work study life. And we talked about Adam's romance life. God gave these things to him because he wants us to incorporate these things in our own life. We don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed. But as you begin to follow Jesus step by step, and as you begin to carry out the plans of God, you're going to find the Lord lead you. You know, there's a beautiful verse found in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Very powerful verse, and you know what it says? For I know the thoughts I think towards you. In other words, God is reaffirming. He's like, I know what I'm thinking about you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Then I love what he says next, to give you a future. It's in the heart of God to give you a future. Outside the plans of God, there is no real future or hope. So God invites and he, his people and he says, look, I want to give you a future and a hope. You say, well, I messed up. I messed up so many things. The second you come to the Lord, 
God can begin to create something altogether new and beautiful with your life. He wants to do something so special with you. But it takes place when you come to him. I want to read you something so powerful, and we're ending on this. Jesus says, come to me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. He bids you exchange your poverty for the riches of his grace. We are not worthy of God's love, but Christ, our surety, is worthy and is abundantly able to save all who come to him. Whatever may be your past experience, however discouraging your present circumstances, if you come to Jesus just as you are, weak, helpless, and despairing, our compassionate Savior will meet you a great way off and throw about you his arms of love and his robes of righteousness. He presents to us to the Father clothed in the white raiment of his own character. He pleads before God in his own, on our behalf saying, I have taken the sinner's place. That's your place. That's my place. Look not upon this wayworld child, but look to me. Does Satan plead loudly against our souls, accusing us of sin and claiming us as his prey? And I love how she ends this. The blood of Christ pleads with greater power. Greater power. Amen. How many people will say, Lord, I want to come to you. I want you to start something. Start something that you've been waiting to do for such a long time. I want you to raise your hand if that's your desire. God, I really want your plans to start taking place. Begins now. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you, Lord, for showing us the beautiful things that are in Genesis. And God, many of us feel that's so far away from the circumstances of your life, our lives. But thank you, God, it is your purpose to recreate in man the image of God. And this is the image of God right here. Lord, we give you permission to pick up the broken pieces and to start something new. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.